0: Timothy chapter 1, First Timothy chapter 1. As you guys are getting settled, just want to uh, share a couple things with you real quick. Uh, like we mentioned earlier during announcements, as uh, Pastor Renee mentioned, there's a fellowship opportunity this coming Friday over at the home of Mike and Susan Leader there for uh, Ice Cream Social. Hope you guys can make it out for that. And also on Saturday, the teens are going to be going out and doing bowling and uh, sign-up sheet back there in the back. We also want to give you a service opportunity as well. A week from today, so next Sunday after church, the Ridge Ministry, which is a ministry that we support out here, and Ron and Kathy Tiarina, who are the uh, co-executive directors of the Ridge, uh, also attend out here. They're moving uh, their offices from Defiance to scenic West Hope, Ohio, in the old Hope School building. So uh, they asked if we'd be able to get a caravan of trucks. So if anybody would like to help out with that, After the 10 o'clock service next week, we're going to send over a group of guys and trucks to Defiance load up then come back to West Hope there to unload. If you are able to help or interested in help, let us know. If we get enough guys around, we've got some extra hot dogs and buns left over too from some stuff we've done recently. We may bring a grill out and just do a, a quick hot dog lunch for those that are helping, then take off to go to Defiance. So if you're interested in helping that, let me know. Let Pastor Rich know and then we can get a group going for that. So that's going to be next Sunday after church. On that same note too, they mentioned uh, also that Hope School is in need of a little bit of painting and Hope Services was wondering if there's a couple people that may be able to volunteer some time to go out and paint some rooms. If that's something that interests you that's up your alley, let us know and we can hook you up with the details about that. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 1, taking a break from our study in Luke and going to do a little bit of a topical today. So we'll get back to Luke next week as we continue our verse by verse study through the book of Luke. But generally during VBS, we always like to stop on VBS Sunday and do a little topical teaching kind of along the theme of what we are dealing with. Well, the theme of this year's VBS, the title of it was Shipwreck at Cross Cove. Well, the word shipwreck is not used too many times in the Bible. But I knew there was the one reference in Acts, and I knew there was this other reference here in 1 Timothy, and I really like this. What we're building up to is verse 19 of 1 Timothy 1, about our faith-suffering shipwreck. But we'll get to that in a little bit, but before we get to that... We need to figure out what Paul is trying to tell Timothy here. And, and I like this because this is pretty straightforward on exactly what Paul wants Timothy to do. Look at verse 5 of 1 Timothy 1. First 5 of 1 Timothy 1. It says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Right from the beginning he says, this is what you're supposed to do. Have a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. I like it when I'm told exactly what someone expects out of me. I grew up with two older sisters. My wife is a firstborn. I'm used to people just telling me what to do. You just do it, and life goes on. It's really simple. So right here from the beginning, Paul tells Timothy, verse 5, this is what you want. You want a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Those three things. I'm telling you right now, if you have those things in your walk and your relationship with Christ, your walk with Christ will be quite strong. Now here's the problem with those three things, though. These are invisible qualities. You, you can't see my heart, you can't see my conscience, and you can't see my faith. Now, you see me Sunday mornings, maybe from 8.30 to 9.30 at that service, or from 10 to 11.30, maybe you and I have a couple contacts throughout the week, a phone call, an email, or a text, but you don't see me other than those times. And we as human beings, let's just be really honest, we're really good at putting on a false front when we need to. And we can look really good from 10 to 11.30 every Sunday. We can look really good when we run into somebody from church at Walmart. We can put that on real quick, real good. Because you can't see my heart, you can't see my conscience, you can't see my faith. And look at the description of these. It's supposed to be a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Those are the things that we want in life. Purity, goodness, and sincerity. God wants to clean us up on the inside, and then that affects the way we are on the outside. See, most of the time we flip it around. Somebody comes and they're struggling. They want to fill in the blank. They want to quit drinking. They want to quit cussing. They want to quit looking at things online they shouldn't look at. They want the outside to change without the inside changing. So they put all this time, energy, and effort into changing those things on the outside. But the truth of the matter is their heart, their conscience, or their faith has not become right in Christ. So therefore those outside things, they really don't change. Maybe for a week, two weeks, a few months but they jump back into the same old problems and habits because it's the inside that didn't change. This has been the principle from the beginning in the Bible. If you want your outside actions to change, your inside heart has to change first. We all know people that have made a valiant effort to change things in their life, but they do it apart from the Lord, and it doesn't do any good. I know my own walk with Christ. There's been times where I've wanted things to change, and I put a lot of energy and effort into it, and it works for a while, but unless my heart changes doesn't mean anything. doesn't mean anything at all. That's the whole point, is what Christ does. Christ changes the heart. You don't have to turn there. There's a great verse in Hebrews chapter 9 that deals with this. If you're taking notes, just write this down. (coughs) Hebrews chapter 9. It's talking about Old Testament and also the New Testament. It says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. So basically, those Old Testament things... That just covered up sin. All those animals that died in the Old Testament, all those sacrifices, that just covered up the sin for a little bit. But look at this. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience, there's that word, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Christ is what changes you on the inside, which then affects you on the outside. Once again, how many of us at certain times in our life maybe even sitting here today, we look pretty good on the outside. We look like we got it all together. Spiritually, our marriage, our family, our work, but really, it's a shipwreck. See, we're so used to think looks, things looking good on the outside when really on the inside they're not. Christ used an example of this in Matthew 23. He was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious bigwigs of the day. They looked great, they acted great, they seemed great. People would literally get out of the way for them because they were such a religious hierarchy. Jesus looked at them and said, you're whitewashed tombs. He says, on the outside you look good, but on the inside you're decaying bones and flesh. What a description. We obviously do a lot of funerals out here at church, and one of the things that always surprises me when I pull into a cemetery is how nice cemeteries look. They always are beautifully manicured and landscaped. They always look nice. But yet, what are they hiding? They're hiding decay. Same thing happens spiritually. I know some people, they look really good. I mean, they spiritually look really good. But the inside, where's their heart? Where's their faith? Where's their conscience? That's what God wants to work on. That's what Paul is writing to Timothy about. He says, you've got to get to this point of where your heart, your conscience, and your faith are in line with what God wants you to do. That's what we want to talk about here. Because what happens then is, if it's not in line, your life suffers a shipwreck. Truth of the matter is, we know what we're supposed to do in life. I don't really think there's too much question about that. One of the examples I use out here all the time is nine times out of ten, you know what you need to do. Maybe every now and then there's a situation that pops up where you really sit there and say, I don't know what the right biblical answer is but I've shared this with you before. When someone comes into my office, they want to sit down and talk about something, and they say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. First thing I ask them is, what do you think you're supposed to do? Well, I think I'm supposed to do this. Well, that sounds good. We know what we're supposed to do. The truth of the matter is, we just don't want to do it. God comes out and says this in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, he says that we know those things that help us and edify us. We know those things that tear us down. You sitting here today can make a quick mental list of those things that are good for you spiritually and those things that you're doing right now that are not good for you spiritually. It's really not difficult. It's the follow-through that's tough. And we can tell when someone's conscience is not good with the Lord. See, this is the interesting thing, is the Lord has given us all this conscience, this conviction to know right from wrong right from the beginning at an early age we know right from wrong you know why we know it? because we like to hide when we're doing something wrong I've shared this example with you many times before but at our house if anybody ever goes behind the couch we just know it's not good there's nothing good that can happen behind the couch so when a kid goes and hides behind the couch he's doing something wrong Because he's trying to hide. This starts at an early age. At a year and a half, they get something they shouldn't. What's the first thing they do? They go hide behind the couch. Guilty conscience. They know what they're doing is wrong. For you that have kids at home, you know one of the scariest sounds in the world is what? Silence. What are they doing? Well, somebody should go check. And in your mind you're thinking, no, I have five little perfect boys. They went and sinned. And then in my other head, I'm thinking, no, they're sinning. They're sinning right now. I just don't know what they're doing. I need to go see. Silence is a scary thing. But this guilty conscience, we can't cover it up. No, we try, but we can't. We had a situation recently at the Irvin House. Back in our garden, what happened about a year, year and a half ago, Dawn wanted to make the garden a little bigger, a little better. So she ordered, or I shouldn't say ordered, she had this guy bring over this load of horse manure and dumped it there in the garden. And the goal was to get some other sand, some other stuff, mix it in together and make, make the garden better. Just like all of you guys, we have rock-hard concrete clay for our backyard. So she was going to try to update the garden. Well, what happened was at first when this big pile of horse manure showed up in our backyard that's now been sitting there for a year and a half because the other stuff hasn't come yet, Dawn's like, don't get on it, don't play on it, it's gross, that's disgusting. Eventually, boys are just going to get on it. So now they go out and dig in it, they play in it, etc., It's life. You can be grossed out if you want. Just a fact. So what happened is, though, now it's been sitting out there for a year and a half that when they dig down, there's these huge beetle larvas. Huge. I mean, like inch, two inches long, big, fat. The boys just love it. We go out there. We dig up. And we just, who can get the most? And then what they do is they bring them in and show mom. So they bring in this handful of larva. So this is what we're doing So, long story short, the boys are doing this this last week, and it's time for snack time. Everybody come in for snack. It's time to get ready for bed. First rule is obviously what? Go in and wash your hands. So, go in. Boys are sitting down for snack, and then our oldest boy, Elias. Now, Elias is the firstborn, and what I've come to the conclusion is we don't need the Holy Spirit. We have Elias. Elias will always tell us if we do something wrong. So, Elias says, Kenan hasn't washed his hands. Okay, that's really gross. Kenan is sitting. I even think that's gross. Kenan is there eating. So Kenan, get up. Go wash your hands. So I'm sitting in the living room. Kenan walks through the living room. And I'm looking at him, and he won't make eye contact with me. He's looking down. And he kind of looks at me, looks down, looks at me, looks down. Something's up. I know something's up. Kenan, what'd you do? Nothing. Kenan, what'd you do? Nothing. Elias goes, Dad. I said, what? Kenan brought in all his larvae, sat him side down beside his snack. That's what he did. Kenan, why did you do that? He wanted to sleep with him at night. That's what he wanted to do. (laughs) Guilty conscience. He knew what he did was wrong. He couldn't make eye contact. He couldn't look. He knew he was not doing his life the way he was supposed to. Same thing happens spiritually. People aren't where they're supposed to be with the Lord. So you know what they do? They feel guilty. So they quit coming to church. They quit praying, they quit reading, how can I go to the Lord? You know, I know what I'm doing, I know the life I'm living. This guilty conscience keeps them from actually coming to the only place where they can have peace and forgiveness. Grace and mercy is a beautiful thing, people. My goodness, if you've ever had that heart of sin, and to go to the Lord and to lay that heart of sin at his feet and say, I am sorry, and to realize what forgiveness truly means. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is such a beautiful thing to know that that guilty conscience can be made right and clean and clear in Christ. That's a beautiful thing. You know what happens, though? Some people's conscience turns so far away from the Lord that the Bible uses his word. And if you're taking notes, you can write it down. It's 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. It says their conscience becomes seared. They have so turned their heart and mind on the Lord that conviction doesn't get to them anymore. We see on the news, we see in the papers, people doing unspeakable acts against other people. Horrible things. And I sit there and say, how can this happen? Their conscience has so turned against the Lord, the Bible uses this word, it's seared, it's sealed off. They're no longer listening to anything that God has to say. Now, I hope and pray that's nobody here this morning. What we're probably dealing with is more of the second part here. Look at verse 19 of our study here in 1 Timothy 1. It says, having faith and good conscience. See, there's our words again. Faith and good conscience. Which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. This is what happens more to us. We shipwreck. Our faith isn't right. Our conscience isn't right. So our walk with Christ becomes a shipwreck. Instead of floating down the river of life, strong and secure and safe in the Lord, our little boat of life wrecks. Now, why does our boat of life wreck? Well, look at what the Bible has to say of this. Why is there a shipwreck? Look at verse 19. Because they did what? They rejected, according to verse 19. What did they reject? They rejected faith and good conscience. If you want your life to go totally off course, if you want to sit there at 2 o'clock in the morning looking at yourself in the mirror saying, Why? What has happened to me? This is not the life I signed up for. This is not what I wanted. This is nothing. I'm willing to bet at that time, your faith and your good conscience are not in line with God's will. That's just my personal opinion. Good conscience is what? Listening to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Bible makes abundantly clear. He convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's that little, still, small voice you hear that when you want to go do something, that little voice that says, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible makes it clear the Holy Spirit's never going to yell. He's a gentleman. It's the still, small voice. We have to tune our ears to want to listen to what God has to say. Numerous times I have people come to me and say, why can't God just make it so evident? I mean, why can't he just just make it so crystal clear? Write it in the sky. Give it to me in verbally. Just tell me what he wants me to do. Because he also wants you to spend time with him. And as you spend time with him, you're able to tune your ears into that still, small voice of what God is trying to say. And the Lord leads and the Lord guides. So when we choose not to listen to the Holy Spirit, we no longer have a good conscience. And to be quite honest with you, if you're choosing not to listen to what God wants you to do in your life, it's not going to go good. You're going to get yourself in situations and scenarios that are not in line with God's word. Which takes us to our next one, this word faith. The Bible makes it clear, where does faith come from? According to Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word of God. So you need to be in God's word. If you are in God's word, you will then know what the Lord wants you to do. See, so often people come up to me and say, "Well, why should I be reading and studying the Bible?" You need to read and study the Bible because there's going to be situation scenarios that come up into your life and you need to be prepared for what those are. And the more time you spend in the word, faith, and the more time you spend with the Lord listening, good conscience, you will then be able to make those quick snap decisions to say, this is what the Lord would want me to do in these scenarios and situations. Because I have spent time in his word, I have spent time in prayer, I know where God's calling me and leading me. I'm ready for these battles of life through the Lord. If you choose not to be prepared, you're going to, according to verse 19, Suffer shipwreck because you're not looking out to where the Lord wants you to go. You're doing what you want, when you want, how you want, and you will suffer shipwreck. What what causes us to suffer shipwrecks? Well, there's one last passage here I want to look at, and then we're going to close this up. Turn if we, with you, excuse me. Turn with me if you will to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, please. Matthew 13. It's a parable of the sower and the seed. One of the things that Rich and I like to talk about out here is how almost every situation we run into comes back to the parable of the sower and the seed. If there was one parable in the Bible that explains nearly everything about Christianity, it's a parable of the sower and the seed. Matthew 13, verse 3. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell in stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Best commentary for the Bible is always the commentary of the Bible itself. So just jump ahead to verse 18, and let's hear the explanation of this. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Verse 18 of Matthew 13. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. This is the person that hears the truth about the Lord, the gospel, whatever, and decides they don't want it. Now, if you're looking at this and it says, well, it says they did not understand it. That word understand does not mean comprehend. It means they didn't want to understand it. It means the truth was presented to them, the gospel was presented to them, and they didn't want to understand it. Snatched away. No root, no growth, no nothing. They just chose not to obey and listen. Those are frustrating. Because you sit there and you walk away saying, man, I should have said it this way. I should have prayed more. I didn't do a good job. No, they just didn't want it. They didn't want to know the truth of how to fix their lives in Christ, how to fix their marital problems, how to fix their life situations. They just didn't want it. Snatched away just like that. Verse 20. He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who receives the word, and immediately receives it with joy. It is, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. This is the one that kind of gets it right away, starts growing, and then just kind of disappears. When we built our house a few years ago, we had someone come in and uh, you know do the grass. And it really hit me at that time, because verses 20 and 21 the first grass to come up was the grass that fell on the driveway. That was the first grass to come up. My driveway looked greener than green for the longest time. It looked really good. You know what was the first grass to die? The driveway grass. Now granted my whole yard now looks dead, but at that time the first grass to die was the driveway grass. So what happened is what? This right here. It falls on the stony places, that little seed germinates, it gets it sort of root down into some really shallow dirt, takes off. No deep root. Boy, these are tough. These are the people that show up to church. Boy, this is what we've been looking for, pastor. I feel like I finally have a purpose in life. I feel like I finally have something that, that, that's getting me going. I want to make changes. I really want things to be different. That's great. Problem is, it's an emotional high that they're on. And there's no root, really, in the Lord. So they come a few weeks, a few months, maybe. The next thing you know, as quickly as they came, quickly they burn out. There's no root. Those ones are sad. Because you really stop and you say, Lord, what could we have done different as a church? What should we have done different? Go back to the parable of the sword and the seed. There's nothing you could have done differently. You present the truth of the word. You give them opportunities to serve. You show unconditional love. You point them towards Christ. You disciple. You do what you can. They have to want to root themselves. If they choose not to root themselves deeply in Christ, there's nothing you can do. Verse 22, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. These are the people that get it, start coming, get involved, whatever. But then the world takes over. The world dangles some carrot in front of them. And I don't know what carrot that is. Maybe it's the carrot of money. Maybe it's the carrot of overtime. Maybe it's the carrot of busyness. Something is dangled in front of them where they just don't have time to really go deep in their walk in relationship with Christ. So what happens is, they're choked out by the world. My goodness, that stuff's all over the place. There's always something that's trying to steal your time away from spending time with Christ. Not just on a Sunday or a Wednesday, whatever, but even during your day. Always something. And sometimes it's just the carrot of fun. You know, this last week was a really busy week with VBS. It was a blessed week, but a busy week. So, we'd get the boys home and we'd go outside and spend as much time as we could out there. Normally, what we try to do is around 8 o'clock, we get in and start doing snack and we try to do devotions as a family and get them ready for bed. So that way, they're getting to bed around 9 ish and let them kind of settle down. Well, the week was so busy, there was so much stuff going on, we'd be outside after 9. So then, me, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, we should do devotions. Oh, but they're having so much fun. Now, there's nothing wrong with fun, there's nothing, it was good, clean fun. But at the same time, it's like, okay, if I want them to be out to 8, 9 o'clock at night, that means at 2 o'clock in the afternoon I need to say, hey guys, let's take a break here for a little bit and let's just spend a little time with the Lord. There's always a carrot to dangle in front of you of something. And what happens here in verse 22, these people get choked out and what happens? They shipwreck. Just like the people earlier, no root. What happens? They shipwreck. There's always something to shipwreck your walk with Christ, always. Look at the last group, verse 23. He who receives seed on the good ground... And he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. These are the ones that really get it. Really get it. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is trying to be mathematical here, but if you look at what he's saying, only one out of four really get it. Now, I'm not saying that's hard numbers here, but you know what? In my experience of walking with the Lord and being a pastor, that's probably about right about one out of four really get what it means to be walking with Christ. And then if you look at verse 23, some 100-fold, some 60, some 30, only one-third of that one out of four really live up to their full potential and what God has in store for them. You know, we have a lot of 30-fold Christians that are just along for the ride. Boy, what about those 100-fold ones? And you know what? That's about true. Of those one-fourth that really get it, only about one-third really live up to everything that God has in store for them. Boy, that's the goal, people. The goal is to be that one-third of that one-fourth and really stop and say, that's what I want. I want everything that God has in store for me, and I don't want mediocre, I don't want contentment, I don't want to be plateau Christian, I truly want to go deeper in everything I have. And I'm going to tell you right now, if that's your heart's desire, that's a lot of work. It is always so much easier to do nothing than it is to do something. But this is what God says. If you want to keep your life from shipwreck, stay on the right course. Be strong in the word. Be strong in prayer with the Lord. Sincere faith, good conscience. Listen to the spirit. Listen to what he has to say. Let the Lord guide and direct you and when you feel that conviction of the Lord saying, nope, this is not healthy for you. This is not healthy for your kids. It's not healthy for your marriage. not healthy for your relationships. Stop it. Be in the word to know what the right thing to do. Be in prayer to know what the right steps are. Have that sincere faith, that pure heart, that good conscience. Stay away from the shipwreck. This is what I'm going to close with. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 139. Here's our last passage. Psalm 139. I don't know what shipwrecks you out there as you're going to Psalm 139. I don't know what little rocks are right underneath the surface of the waters of life that you don't see that knocks you down. I don't know what storms come into your life that pull you away. I don't know. For every person it's different. But I know this. I'm willing to bet it's the same rocks that sink your ship every time. Because it's usually the same rocks for me. Sometimes those rocks are really out of the water so I can see them and dodge them. There's other times where I'm just totally blind to them. There's also times, too, where I see a storm of life coming and I say, okay, God, this is going to be a difficult week, a difficult month, a difficult season, a difficult year, but you're going to give me strength to get through this, and Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, help me. There's other times where a storm comes and I didn't see it coming, and my little boat of life gets shipwrecked. Point is, there's always going to be rocks to knock you down. There's always going to be storms to knock you down. The question is, are you going to be strong in your faith and your conscience and your heart through Christ to be prepared for those things? If you are no, no then this passage is for us. Psalm 139. Let's look at verse 23. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a great prayer. Lord, you come into my life and you know me better than anybody. You know what storms are ahead. Strengthen me. Prepare me to be strong in those storms so that way I don't get shipwrecked. I don't want to be the one choked out. I don't want to be the one with my root really tiny and stony places. I want to be deep in you. Lord, you know what stones are coming in my life. Show them to me. Reveal them to me. Help me to dodge them through you by being strong in prayer and in the word. Be alert to what the Lord has in store. One of the words that we've been doing a lot in our study in 1 Peter on Wednesday nights is this word that's keeps repeating is be sober. It means be serious, be alert. There's a lot of joy in walking with Christ, and I hope that came across here today. We have a lot of fun learning about the Lord and going deeper. There's no doubt about that. But there's also a seriousness of saying we're impacting people for all of eternity. We're dealing with heaven and hell for all of eternity. I want to be serious about my walk and my relationship with the Lord because I want to dodge those storms, I want to dodge those rocks, and I want to stay strong in the Lord because I don't want to get shipwrecked. I want to stay focused on him and all that I do and all that I say. And I hope that's the same heart that you guys have too. Marv, why don't you come forward here for the final song. Let's just have a word of prayer as we close up. Heavenly Father, it's just good to be here. And once again, we give you the glory, honor, and praise for this week. It's all you, Lord. And just pray those kids go home and know you and come to know you in a deep, personal way. And Lord, for just us, there's always storms. There's always stones that try to knock us down. In the name of Jesus, help us not to get shipwrecked by those. To stay strong in you and prayer and in your word and faith, Lord. Just go before us. We want to serve you and love you. And Lord, when we do stumble, when we do hit that rock and our boat starts to sink, thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, thank you for being a God that forgives. Thank you for your unconditional love. Thank you that we can always come back to you with no matter what we're facing. We lift this up in your name. Amen.